Welcome to Muse Unseen, the podcast on how creatives do business. I am Zoe Omega. And I am Claire Michelle. We are going to welcome Max Fallis Goodkind, a really kick-ass, can we say that? We can say that now. I, I made it explit. Kick-ass community organizer, artist, gallery, curator. She runs Push Pull, which is an underground comic shop that also is an art gallery that also has classes. She gives advice to creatives on how to run their business and is an all-around awesome creative person. This sounds like it'll be a good conversation. Ready to dive in? Definitely. All right, let's do it. Hey, Max, you want to come on in? So cool. Welcome. Welcome. Thank, Thank you for you. being here. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. Yeah, absolutely. So um, tell us about yourself, Max. Um, you do a lot, as we heard in our intro today. Um, there's so much there. So what is Push-Pull? Uh, so it's a gallery, and it's an indie comic shop, and it's a gift shop. Mostly it's an art space. Uh, there's an education program. We're also publishers. We have wow. a free teen art program. We have so much stuff because we're an artist cooperative and our policy is just that we do whatever the members want us to do. <laughs> so Very cool. instead of being a regular for-profit business where we're worried about our bottom line all the time, we look at what do artists need, what do artists want, and then we just do it. What do artists need? Support. <laughs> <laughs> Education. <laughs> My professional development skills Huge. and a place to sell their stuff. Yeah, that's big. Yeah, that's big. And then you do art and curating for other people. And like, tell us a little more about what you do outside of your push pull world. Uh, yeah, so outside of there, uh, I am doing illustration and design and fine art, um, sort of as my personal stuff. And then I also do curation services for a few select clients and consultation services. Uh, it's my chance to focus on bringing a little bit of a different vision that's outside of Pushpole. So I do uh, curating through Pushpole for a few venues as well. But outside of Pushpole, I get to support people that don't necessarily go with the aesthetic that Pushpole represents, which is really um, contemporary underground narrative representational work which if you've gone to art school that probably means something and if you haven't gone to art school <laughs> then it means uh contemporary pictures with characters or people in them mm -hmm. and so how does your other curation differ then is it more fine arts uh it is more fine arts but it also i've shown some sculptural work uh ceramics um abstract stuff stuff that really wouldn't fit into push pull and it's not that i don't appreciate it it's that if you try to have an art space that's too mixed up then it's hard to develop an audience one thing i really like about push pull is that everything fits you walk into push pull and everything feels like it belongs but there's still a wide variety yes hmm. that's difficult to curate kudos it's, to you it is yeah <laughs> there's patches there's books there's clothes but it all has sort of this underground really cool alt vibe yeah my favorite uh story about push pull is i had i was going to a friend's birthday party and i walk in i'm like i need something that's like trans but also super witchy 
and they're mm-hmm. like, okay, here are three <laughs> things that you can choose from. Yeah. So it's it's it can't, there's a lot of weird little niches that are like, yeah, catered to. That, yeah, that's who we're really catering to because that's who we're made up of is the niches, not the mainstream. You're not going to find really much in the superhero range or romance. Uh, but if you do want a 200-page comic on lesbian romance, then I can get you that. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're not worried about catering to the mainstream because that's what everybody else is doing. Right. So why do we need to do that? Mm-hmm. So why, why this sort of avenue? Why not cater to the mainstream? Because it's boring. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and because I don't fit in there. I tried sort of to fit in there for a long time. My post high school experience of, okay, now you have to get a job and fit into the normal world and try to function and pay bills and all this. And it never really felt right. And I wasn't making any relationships that were positive where I was thriving. And I got laid off in 2008 from my last real corporate job. And it took a while to recover from that and figure out where my life was going. But that was really the moment where I was like, I don't want to do this anymore. I want to be who I want to be. I don't want anyone to tell me how I should dress or what my hair should look like or tell me that I need more happy faces in my emails. You know, like I need to have a better (laughs) life direction than this. More happy faces in my emails. Oh, God, I try to avoid as many of those as possible. Right. It's like, I thought that was unprofessional, apparently. Yeah, women are supposed to have happy faces in their emails. So what were you doing with the corporate job then? Uh, I've done many things. I started out as, you know, it was 20 years ago, Mm -hmm. and I was a receptionist because that was, if you didn't go into the service industry and you were a woman, you answered phones and typed emails. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did that, quickly transitioned into an accounting position and then worked my way up through different companies in accounting, eventually went into interior design. So I went to school for that um, and did construction management and interior design and then sold office furniture. I actually wasn't the one selling it, but I was the one where mm-hmm. I was managing major accounts. So like, let's say you're opening a casino. I'm going to talk to you about what office chairs would be the best fit of for course. your staff. And um, that was the job that uh, 2008 yeah. was bad for. The industry in Seattle really was dependent on Washington Mutual. And so when they tanked, we all lost our jobs. Do you think your creative aspirations came from this interior design work that you've done, or do you was it? It was sort of the that? opposite. Interesting. I started out really wanting to do art, mm-hmm. like you know, getting in trouble from their teachers for drawing unicorns on my spelling test, stuff like that. Typical art kid. Of course. And I in high school was like, okay, I'm going to pursue something creative. I explored um, music and music production and radio production. Mm -hmm. Um, But I also made comics and zines. I was drawing all the time and painting, whatever art supplies I could get. Uh, And then as I transitioned into the adult world, I got that message that you have to find a way to make money off of this. You have to find a way to make this be practical. 
And so somewhere along the line, I went, well, you know, interior design is practical and people will pay for that. In reality, interior design is a really terrible industry to get into. You don't make very much money. <laughs> I make more money now than I ever did into doing interior uh-huh. design. So, but it was a way for me to give some direction to those uh, mm-hmm. creative skills. Do you think you could have made it a living at that point in your life? Uh, I don't think doing art. Mm-hmm. I don't think so because I actually use all the skills that I got at those jobs that I really hated, (laughs) which is a rough lesson to learn. It is. Because you want to tell people, I work with teens a lot, and you want to tell them, yeah, just you're going to graduate high school and go to college, and it's going to be amazing, and Mm -hmm. you're going to be an artist. And in reality, doing bookkeeping for someone else meant that I knew how to do bookkeeping. For yourself. Yeah, reading uh, legal contracts means that I'm comfortable reading and writing legal contracts. Like, it, learning how to send professional emails and, you know, working next to a marketing department and learning how to send press releases, like all those things that aren't very fun are really <laughs> critical. So what do you so tell are. teens? You don't, you aren't, you know, blowing rainbows out of their ass. So what do you Yeah. Mean? I try to tell them that, yes, you can be a professional artist, but get these other skills First, if you don't plan on working for someone else, if you plan on working for someone else, go get a degree in graphic design. <laughs> right. Yep. And then use those skills that you learn at the new job. Right. When you eventually pass on to uh, going into uh, graphic design work and you yes. have all of that skill built up from college and you have all the real life skills of the actual job at hand. Yeah. Yeah. I had this job. Uh, it was with a photographer. It was one of the first jobs that I had out here and I got so lucky with getting in, uh, involved with her business. But it was my first real look at what an entrepreneur does and how they actually like handle you know, their business and what they do from the day to day. And she was a photographer and I got the opportunity to be with her on shoots, be with her behind you know, in the office, um, and just do everything from beginning, middle, and all the way up to the end. And it was through that 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 job gave me the confidence to say, I, I can do that. Yeah. I know how to I know how to push papers and read a book, right? Like, yeah. like it it was something that I will forever remember how much like how much af- how I felt after that job was done and how confident I felt in my own abilities. But I would not have been that person and I would still be working for you know, Seattle Goodwill. Yeah. If I if I didn't have that job uh, that landed me. So I totally know what you mean where it's like you have to sort of put you have to put in the time and you have to make those sacrifices because some of those sacrifices that you make are so beneficial to the, in the long run. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, jobs that you think are going to be really silly can actually be really valuable. Yeah. Uh, I managed a luxury mattress store for four years. Mm-hmm. It was a miserable job and then I was constantly fighting with management but because they were in another country on the other coast then <laughs> I had a lot of freedom and they really wanted me to do events so I got to do this like event planning and stuff outside of push pull so I could practice yes you know? on somebody else's yeah, time exactly <laughs> So I had bands play. Oh, cool. I had uh, lots of different artists there. 
we had a poetry night, but yeah, when I applied for that job, it didn't say like, oh yeah, you're going to be able to do this or you'll be able to learn this. So it's also, what do you bring to it? What are you going to have some control over that job that you don't necessarily like so that you are learning the skills that you're going to be able to take with you? And also don't stay longer than you need to after you've learned those skills. Oh, that's so true. That's yeah. some, that's some of the best advice I've heard yet. Like, yeah. <laughs> so you you wound up leaving. You're currently doing push pull and freelancing full time. What was what made you able to make the jump, take those skills, and move forward? Um. Well, yeah. This is my second year. That all I'm doing is uh, my sort of self directed art stuff and what made me able to do that was asking people for money. Um, that's a big one. Yeah. So I have one major client that also sponsors a nonprofit that I run. And the last year I got almost $15,000 from them. So I could confidently say, okay, I can make up the rest of what I need to do this year. And once I started putting myself out there, uh, it was about, Three years ago, I just started getting work, getting contacted for jobs that I never applied for. And I was like, well, okay, this is odd. And then now I'm having to turn jobs away that people are just contacting me for. And it's stuff that isn't necessarily what I advertise my services as. Mm -hmm. But it's, you know, following a path that I'm not necessarily creating If I went into it going, okay, what I'm going to do is draw comics, which is one of the many things that I do, and that is my job, I wouldn't be making any money. I put out four comics last year, but that doesn't mean that I'm making any money off of them. Uh, Instead, you know, I'm making money putting together somebody else's comic, which is fine. Right. But you also diversify. You, You do a lot of different things for money. So do do you think that diversification is key to, like, surviving as a freelancer? I think so. Uh, You know, being able to bring a lot of skills and being able to confidently go in and present yourself as somebody with a diverse amount of knowledge is what's going to be most valuable to your clients. When somebody comes to me and says, well, I need this uh, comic book laid out, but I also need to do color and I need to do editing and I don't have to send that out to anyone else. I can do all that work. That means more money for me. Uh, when so- I get connected to a business that needs a consultation, but then maybe they need a teacher later, that means more money. Mm-hmm. So the more services that I can offer uh, one organization or one client, then... I don't have to keep looking for work. I had a job um, two years ago, and it was in graphic design. I'm not a graphic designer. Yeah. (laughs) But I'm a photographer, and I know how to edit, and I know how to use the Adobe Suite. And I went in and did that job, and I did what I needed to do. And they were really happy with the end product and everything like that. And they hired me back for other, like, film-related stuff, the stuff that I do know how to do. Yeah. And so sometimes, like, it's not even just, like, like, you know, knowing how to do the thing that you're hired to do, but going in and saying, I can do this because I'm an artist and I have those skills. Yeah. And then now I'm actually doing what I wanted to do with them in the first place. Yeah. And so um, I'm a teacher as well. Yep. That is one avenue that I think most mm-hmm. professional creative people 
don't ever explore and that's where you're gonna make the most consistent money it is it's very consistent that's what my grandma told me yeah. she's an artist and she's yeah. like yeah and I'm trying to get to the point where I feel comfortable mm-hmm. teaching class I'm actually in the process I I uh, work with title artist haven up mm-hmm. in North Seattle and part of being a member is you got to learn you got to teach yeah and so I'm developing a workshop on looking glass flowers from Alice in Wonderland through the looking glass. Mm-hmm. And I will be teaching my first class this summer. And I'm nervous yeah. and excited. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, that's good that you're getting not just the opportunity, but also the push to do that. Yeah. And push pull. Yeah. <laughs> ah! <laughs> I see it now. That's, yes. that's wise. Uh because, yeah, that is definitely where you can make consistent income and also connect with people. Right. When you're teaching a bigger class, you never know who's going to be in that. It could be somebody that has access to a lot of income or connections that you want or mm-hmm. need. Um, and, you know, when you when I have a one-on-one student, it also gives me the opportunity to really give them direction in their creative career. So. How do you apply everything that you've learned through owning a business to your own artistic endeavors? I, when I started, um, well, when I opened Pushbowl, I would say my exposure to curating and art was very limited. Mm-hmm. I had a couple dozen artists that I was close to and whose art I was exposed to and I had worked with. Now I work with um, between two and 300 artists a year. Oh, wow. So That's pretty it's, huge. Yeah, it's a big difference. And my art has gotten so much better. The, I would occasionally put out some like pretty good pieces. This was almost seven years ago. But I was, not, I was confident in them, obviously. I decided mm-hmm. to open an art gallery. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I thought I was pretty hot shit. But looking back on it, because I really threw myself into being exposed to so much art and so many different artists and having the responsibility of being the curator, where if I don't do a very good job curating and you create work that I put on the wall and then I never sell it, I wasted your time. I got a lot better because I was like, well, I want to make stuff that I'm proud of and that I want on this wall for a while if nobody is going to buy it. Uh, that I want to be able to talk about every day when people come in. So it really forced me to grow really fast. And I made sure when we expanded Push-Pull four and a half years ago now to surround myself with artists that I thought were better than me. And that's that's such... Yeah. So good. You You have to continually putting yourself in situations where you don't know if you're gonna come through to the other side. And a part of that is surrounding yourself with other people. Yeah. Because that's, those are the experiences that you grow from. You know, all those failures that you like, and this is a whole talk about perspective and how you can change your perspective. But you know, your failures aren't failures. They're just another stepping stone in the direction that you want to be heading. And as you say, like, you know, putting your, surrounding yourself around others to step up to their level. Yeah. You have to step up to the level. So you mentioned you were hot shit though. (laughs) <laughs> that's what I felt like. So how important is ego? <laughs> I it's I found that it was pretty important to have the confidence to take that initial step. 
Because pretty much I was putting my name and every penny I had on the line. <laughs> it, yeah. I've heard, I've heard as musicians, um, like we need to have a certain amount of ego because it takes a lot of uh, confidence to get up there on stage and perform like you are hot shit. Exactly. <laughs> and I imagine it's similar for artists, but maybe not in the same sort of fashion because while it is a performance, you're not directly involved in that performance. Yeah. You get to observe how that performance is. Uh, how does that like feel at push-pull? Uh, I would say that when it comes to actually trying to get your artwork into somebody else's hands, mm -hmm. it, there is a lot of performance involved because you've really got to sell it. It is, yeah. And it's a lot, it's very intimate where that person that you're trying to sell it to is like six inches away from you. You know, you're not like on a stage or something. So you have to be like, <laughs> yeah, this is great because I included all of these like symbols or I use this reference or something. Uh, I feel like what I had before was was a lot of ego and you know, it was almost seven years ago, so I feel like it was not as mature as I am today. <laughs> of course. <laughs> but what I have now, and now that I've spent all of this time, like, really focusing on my skills, is just confidence. Mm -hmm. You know, I know it's not right. false, and I am able to humble myself when I need to. That's important. Um, but, but, yeah, there is a lot of... You have to have the confidence to sell your stuff and be like, yeah, that's good. Mm -hmm. I know, And I know that it's good because I took the time to develop the skills and to learn. Yeah. Art is about being able to see something. And you have to learn how to see art and to tell what is good. So when you're being sold to, for example, like, do you prioritize somebody's confidence or do you prioritize somebody's art i prioritize somebody's art mostly because they probably aren't going to be around when i'm trying to pitch right. it to someone <laughs> and totally. i want to be able to he to sell it so i want to you know be able to sell something that i like but i also want them to be able to speak about it so having mm. something where somebody is like well this just looked pretty like that's fine <laughs> But I'm going to be able to sell this if I can talk about it and talk about its significance to the collector. And, yeah. And that's one thing that we try to focus on at Pushpool is not showing aspect. the education, yeah. but also not showing the art that is just pretty mm -hmm. because you can kind of get that wherever. That, mm -hmm. That's what Instagram and Pinterest are really great at. Right. It has to mean something. It has, yeah. to, have a, it has to have a deeper body. Mm -hmm. So when you're when you're finding those artists who have that deeper connection, do you find that those artists are more or less difficult to work with? Uh, I I work with many many wonderful artists that are great to work with, and some artists that are difficult. <laughs> the ones that are difficult, I usually cut off. I hear it from the yeah. opposite end, and that's what, this is why I asked that question, because usually it's the clients. And we always, as artists, I mean, it's it's a point of conversation in every art community. I worked with a terrible client. Right. But nobody ever talks about the artists. Yeah. So to me, you have to be easy to work with. There's just too many. Mm -hmm. Like, there's too many people out there. Mm -hmm. I want to talk about how great of a person I think you are first, and then 
have people will look at your artwork and because I picked out good artwork, they're going to be like, oh, this is a cool person and I like their art. So when people become difficult, then I usually just cut them off. Between ego and confidence. Yeah. It's it's, very, very fine line. And, you know, it's not worth the stress that those people put on the rest of the community Mm -hmm. because what's usually happening is they're demanding your time and attention in that sort of undeserving, immature way, mm-hmm. when I could be giving that to somebody else. Right. And you as a decision maker have that power. And so you have, yeah. uh, I imagine, tons and tons and tons of different types of people coming at you of all sorts and of all talents. And so when you turn somebody away because they are difficult to work with, does the art have an influence in that? Uh, not really. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's going to be, usually when somebody is difficult, it's not just for me, Mm -hmm. it's for everyone. Mm -hmm. And we have nine people that are there that I have to be concerned about who's going to be walking in and that they feel safe and welcome and nurtured. And so if someone is difficult, then chances are they're difficult (laughs) for those people. And whereas I might be able to deal with it because I sort of have that personality. That's how I ended up being the person in charge. I don't want them to be exposed to that. So when you find somebody who's not as confident, what do you find is the best way for them to gain that confidence back? Uh, Usually mentoring, Mm -hmm. uh, them finding a mentor that works for them and joining a community that they feel is supportive. So we try to have a lot of events that are free, Mm -hmm. that are just about artists coming together, and they're always lacking any sort of competition. Hmm. So it's about artists working together, working side by side, or gaining some skill together. We do life drawing twice a month. And joining that where you have people that go, wow, I really like that. How'd you do that? Or having Mm -hmm. somebody that sees you a couple times a month and go, wow, you're really progressing is an important thing. It's hard because a lot of artists are so introverted that it's hard to be (laughs) like, (laughs) be like, yes, what you should do is go out and meet a bunch of strangers. So I don't know. Um, how do you, like a lot of our listeners are online. You know, yeah. That's where we find a lot of our, our, our listeners. So when you, um, when you think of an online community, how, lo- how does that differ from a real life community? I think a real life community, people have pressure to back up what they say. Mm. So if somebody says they're going to support you, if somebody likes something, then chances are you can count on that. Whereas an online community is good for our egos. Right, yeah. <laughs> People tell us that we're beautiful and our art is great and they like our selfies. And But when it comes to actually showing up when you need someone, the chances of that happening really are reduced. And the chances of somebody referring you to a job are really reduced. You know, building those communities, especially if you want to be a freelance artist, is really important for work. <laughs> Oh, huge. Yeah. So, yeah, it's, it's tough. Mm-hmm. But unless you really are going into something that's like you're just doing digital illustration, you're just doing graphic design, those types of things, you can do from an internet community. 
uh, getting into fine art and comics and the type of stuff that I do is a lot more difficult. And I find having a community backing and supporting a community is, for me, the easiest way to do it. Yeah, for sure. You mentioned mentorship earlier. Like, what kind of things do you think people should look for in a mentor? And how do they find one? Like, that seems like a daunting task. Uh, well, uh, that goes back, again, to, you know, inserting yourself in a community. And there's a lot of art events in Seattle that are free or relatively inexpensive, you know, for the price of a beer while you're hanging out at this place, uh, you can be a part of this community. So I think that is a good place to start. And I don't think that mentorship has to be a really formal thing where you're paying someone or making appointments with someone, but just someone who you can ask questions to and you feel comfortable with. And it's sort of about finding your right fit. And that might not be just one person. Uh, at Push Pull, that's really what we try to do with each other. We generally always have a group of people that are at completely different points in their career. So right now we have a very young person and they're sort of out of college and developing a portfolio and figuring out oh, what yeah. style oh, they want to do. All sorts of fun. And, <laughs> you know, now I have to build a website and stuff. And then you have other artists that uh, have been really in the community for the last 25 or 30 years and sort of have seen everything and everyone. It sounds like mentorship can be very organic then. That's what I think it should be yeah. for most people. You know, if you're a college senior and you don't know what to do with yourself, then maybe you need to find a formal mentor. Mm -hmm. But yeah, if you're just joining the community, then sort of ask around and find out who's doing what. You know, if you hear somebody's name, Google it. Like, you got it pretty easy nowadays. You, you can sure. find out what uh -huh. everybody's doing without you having to ask them. don't have to, to take an hour to go to the library, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, if somebody mentions a name and you go, okay, it seems like I should know who that person is, can't go to the bathroom, Google them, yeah. come back educated. <laughs> it's true. It's about, like, setting the intent, you know, to be mentored as well as to give mentorship. Right, yeah. So being open and listening because people are going to be giving out free information and advice all the time. And if you're open to it, mm -hmm. you'll get a lot of valuable information and a lot of valuable guidance. It's the people who enter the arts that they go, I know what I'm doing. I have right. 500 Instagram followers or something. You're like, mm -hmm. okay, good luck. Right, yeah, <laughs> good luck. Like, I still <laughs> learn stuff every day, all the time. And a lot of it is just by listening to someone describe. It's raining. Yeah, I was like, is that <laughs> a hail? I know, maybe a little bit. Uh, but, you know, by listening to, to someone describe how they make art and going, wow, I never thought of doing that. What if I try it that way? Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. I think, like, emphasizing listening, Yeah, you know, because we have a society that's all, like, that's, very individualistic and you want to show off and it's like no you shut your mouth for a little bit yeah actually listen you might hear something you know i never would have thought of yeah and listen when people tell are critical of you it's fine mm -hmm. uh that is something that if you do go to art school you have to go through critiques and it's miserable and everybody hates it but mm -hmm. 
what you're supposed to be learning is to take critique. Um, so that's one thing that when I'll have moms go, should my kid go to art school? And I'll go, well, this is the number one thing you're going to learn at art school. And it's Nobody's taking a critique. told me that before. Yeah. And so that's, that's what you should learn. Huh. Um, you just gave me a new perspective on my music school. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, maybe I did learn that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, because you could learn how to draw something or yeah. how to play a song off the internet, but having someone who is more professional than you and has more experience than you mm -hmm. tell you how you did it wrong in front of a group of 30 of your peers right. is a very humbling thing, but also motivates you to get better and be like, okay, how do I learn that skill? Apparently, my perspective stinks, so... <laughs> So something that I do, I, I am talking to people all day, every day. It's, I'm a teacher, so I'm a voice teacher. And when I'm first getting to know my student, I always am, you know, I'm so curious about their job, about what they do. And a part of what I do as well is to give them the confidence to use their voice out in this public space and yeah. be themselves. And so, so much of the first, like, you know, 20 minutes as I'm getting to know this person is about just this curiosity. And for me especially, I'm learning so much about the tech world lately. Yeah. And what that does for me, though, is it gets me in front of clients who now I start to feel more and more comfortable talking to. I can now walk into a tech conference, for example, go to a couple you know, talks, learn a thing or two, patronize with the right people, and then all of a sudden now I'm you know, involved in those circles where before just because I didn't have those conversations, I wasn't open-minded to the mentorship that these people would naturally give, Yeah, I would never be in that situation. And so mentorship not only like can be beneficial for your specific trade, but it can also open the doors to so many different places where you can utilize that trade. And that's something that I think we as artists have above everybody else is that art is, in, is everywhere. Yeah. It's literally everywhere, and it's kind of that second degree that puts you into that next step. Because art on its own can only be a community of artists, where art and tech can now be an artistic community of tech. Yeah, and that I started teaching mm -hmm. at the Kirkland Art Center, which has been an interesting experience. I'm used to being in Seattle, mm -hmm. and especially Ballard is a community where usually when we're teaching, the people are relatively nearby. And now in Kirkland, of course, everybody works at a tech company or has worked at a tech company. Right. Um, two of my students, we have one of them works at Microsoft, one of them works at Amazon, and one of them previously worked for both. Mm -hmm. So out of a class of six, <laughs> like that's pretty limited. The rest are all teenagers. So diverse group. Yeah. But yeah, it's, learning a lot and then learning about what those people need and what we can provide them and how we can get them involved because we have got this, Oh, it's us against them and right. they're not going anywhere. No. Like they, they bought this city. They so really, yeah, that's a good way to put it. <laughs> we need to figure out how we can incorporate them and get them involved into right. what we're doing. And what I'm hearing a lot is that their jobs can be very devoid of creativity. Mm. Amazon only needs so many graphic designers. Right. So chances are you've got somebody that sits at a desk all day and looks at code. Or 
works in HR or something. So how can we help them develop some creativity and give them a voice to their personal life and the ideas in their head they don't get to express? Mm-hmm. And then connect them with artists that will help them appreciate that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Do you do you work with clients who um, do you like try to put that artwork in into like the Amazon spaces and things like that to try to give a little uh, bit more light to the people that look at Carl? Yeah. <laughs> I haven't really I think that's a at a client level that is beyond who I want to be juggling right now. Totally. Uh, right now audience. Yeah. Yeah, right now like uh, the one um, client that I do curating for personally is um, a credit union and it's nice because it's in the neighborhood and I get to really use that to influence the art that's in the neighborhood. For sure. Um, mm-hmm. So I try to make sure it's a pretty diverse group of artists that are showing because Ballard is still pretty white. So, right. so. if mm-hmm. I get to sort of change that, that's what I want to do. Um, but yeah, working with like curating on that sort of corporate level is, it's a lot of work. Like it's a lot of work to do it for one client four times a year. Right. That's another to yeah. do it. <laughs> Double that, triple that. Exactly. Right. <laughs> yeah. How did you, how did you uh, find this client? Um, luck and that being open. Um, one night many years ago now, uh, I was sitting in a bar and there was a guy that looked lonely sitting in the bar and it turned out like I just started talking to him. Um, he is a singer in a local band and so I went and saw his band a couple times and he lived nearby. You know, we would keep seeing each other at this bar. Um, one day he's in there with this charming woman who has been his girlfriend now since. And she was really delightful. We were instant friends. And when she uh, went to work for the credit union and had these opportunities, and it was right around the time when um, Push Pull was opening. And she was like, hey, how can I get you involved? You know, are you able to do these things? And she really sat down with me and said, like, hey, this is how this goes and helped me figure out, like, how to send these communications and how to be professional and what types of services they needed and what was the right price point to be offering things at. You know, you don't want to underprice your stuff and screw yourself over later. I mean, you're going to screw other people in the community over immediately. Yes. Because they're going to look too expensive. Mm-hmm. But you're also going to screw over future you when you need a race. <laughs> My mom used to always tell me, ask more than what you think you're worth. Oh, yeah. Because people will be more willing to negotiate down than they will to be negotiating up. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Which has led to things like... Like, you know, me getting paid, like, a ridiculous sum of money to sit down for a 45-minute consultation meeting. And I was like, wow, these this is 
okay, cool. Yeah, this was definitely worth my time to get done. Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it is. One thing that I like about your model is you do have different price points for different types of consultation and you make it really approachable. Yeah. So, and the, you know, so on my website, I publish rates and those are rates that like you That's can rare. hire me for as an individual mm-hmm. when it gets to be like corporate clients or something, they pay at least twice as much mm-hmm. um, because they're going to be a pain to work with. And I'm not going to charge you for every single email it took to get that meeting. There's I'm just charging you for there. the meeting. Right. <laughs> yeah. Whereas an individual isn't expecting to send you 10 emails before you even get there. Um, but yeah, that's one thing like putting rates on my website and being like, this is how much money it takes to learn from me, talk to me, whatever has been like the first year it was on there, kind of nothing happened. And I was like, oh no, like, is this too high? Is it too low? What's going on? Something in the air shifted and all of a sudden, like people are reading it and booking stuff and it's been great. You just made the right moves and and that kind of butterfly effect helped out. Yes. Mm -hmm. Totally. So um, this is our last question. Yeah. Um, What would you, what advice would you give to people who are just trying to break into the creative world? Three things. Three things. Um, learn where you can get contract templates <laughs> Yes, <laughs> and become <laughs> comfortable with reading them and sending them out. Mm-hmm. Always get a deposit up front. Mm. Good idea. Mm. Great idea. And then find your community. If you are in the middle of nowhere and you can't go out to a bar where artists are having a drink and draw or something, find an online community. You know, find a, a Facebook group that doesn't have 2,000 people in it, that has 30 people in it. Find, you know, something on Meetup. Like, really find people that are going to support you in a meaningful way. Like, it's great if your mom tells you that your art is great. But <laughs> Thanks, Mom. The thing about your parents buying art is that they're really kind of just like renting it because you're going to get it back someday. (laughs) Yeah. So where can we find you? Um, what are your socials? What's your website? Yes. So my website is friendsofmax.com and that's with two X's. Uh, that is also my Instagram. My Facebook is maxfgart. Uh, and then you can always find my stuff at Pushpole, and we're pushpoleseattle.com and everywhere else. Nice, nice. Cool. Thank you so much. Yeah. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Definitely. Cool. Okay. Well, that was great. That conversation was very, very heavy, and we talked about a lot of things that artists deal with. And I was really, really happy that Max came in and took the time out to talk with us. She's an incredibly busy person. And as you can hear, an incredibly uh, smart and talented individual as well. Yes, it was lovely to have her on Muse and Scene to talk about how creatives do business. This has been Zoe Omega, and thank you for listening. I am Claire Michelle, and if you want to find us on the internet's You can find us at Muse Unseen. We're on Twitter, 
Facebook, or miseunseen.com. See you next time. Thanks. Bye. You didn't say. <laughs> if you want to be on the podcast, you can email us at museunseen at gmail.com. Bye. <laughs>